emotional dysregulation and with trauma with African-American, Hispanics and black and brown people is not seen as a trauma symptom, but as seen as difficult. We tend to be characterized as difficult, angry black woman, angry black man, um, aggressive and not e- trauma is not even taken into consideration, especially with our black and brown boys. Trauma is not even taken into consideration. Immediately conduct disorder, ADHD, all these diagnoses are slapped on them instead of taking a moment into excess. Has there been a history of trauma? What's going on, gang? It's Dr. Dawn, your favorite Philly girl, licensed psychologist and certified trauma therapist. And I'm back in these streets with another episode of Sanity Sessions, Real Talk, Real Trauma. And today we are looking a little bit closer at trauma symptoms. Stay tuned. All right. So again, like I mentioned in our first episode, we use the term I'm traumatized so loosely, so loosely, but there are some symptoms and responses that are commonly associated with trauma and some that are not so commonly discussed, but are associated with trauma as well that we're going to delve into today. All right. So I've talked to you on a number of occasions prior to the shift, as well as in the last couple episodes since the shift. I've said that trauma is relative. And so just like trauma is relative, so are some of the trauma responses and symptoms. So for example, some trauma survivors experience flashbacks. Others may have nightmares. And we'll define those more in detail so you can have a working knowledge of some of those symptoms. But again, it is relative. So not everyone will have the same symptoms. Now, after this episode, I don't want y'all going around thinking y'all experts because you know how we do, especially especially us black and brown folk. Once we get some knowledge, we are the experts. <laughs> At least in my household, we are. We the experts once we get a little bit of knowledge. You can't tell us nothing. So let's not go around diagnosing folk um, because remember, this is just education. So once you get this information, don't think you know you know, telling your girlfriend, yeah, you got this. Dr. Dawn said this, that, and the other. Don't throw me in the mix either. Don't do none of that. Because remember, this is just education. It's not therapy. So if you think you've experienced a traumatic event, remember, I need you to go talk to a licensed mental health professional. Get evaluated. Come on. Y'all know what to do. I tell you this every episode. This is just education. This is the gravy on top of what you should be doing um, in session, getting that professional help. This can hold you over in between sessions. This is some educational work if you're a counselor or a therapist, but this is not therapy, right? I always got to throw that disclaimer out there. Okay, let's move on. Now, whether you feel you've been traumatized or not, it's good to know as much as you can about trauma. Very important because its impact and its symptoms can you know, it's very, it can be very um, debilitating for folks. Traumas impact and trauma, the trauma symptoms can be very debilitating. So it's important for us to know as much as we can about this. um, So it can help us understand and support someone and also help us to um, have a working knowledge of what's happening for those around us that we may be connected to, whether um, it's personal or professional. Professionally, we may be connected to people in a personal or professional manner. And I think it's important for us to have an understanding because more people than not that we come in contact with are experiencing or have experienced some sort of trauma. 
All right. Now let's break it down for it to be forever broken. That's what my sissy sage says. Let's break break it down for it to be forever broke. All right. First, first one we're going to discuss is avoidance. Now, avoidance can occur emotionally or behaviorally. Now, emotional avoidance, which is internal, is the attempt to avoid thoughts and feelings surrounding an event. So emotional avoidance can look like suppressing sadness or tears when thinking about a painful event um, or a survivor of a natural, natural disaster may numb feelings by drinking excessive alcohol or eating excessively or, or um, shopping excessively or binge watching excessively to avoid thoughts or memories of the event. So again, the first one is internal emotional avoidance okay so it can we have two types of avoidance emotional or behavioral so we just talked about emotional internal avoidance and that's the attempt to avoid thoughts and feelings surrounding an event okay such as suppressing um, sadness or doing something constantly to avoid feeling next is behavioral avoidance which is external avoidance so that's physically when we physically avoid things like people, places, sounds, or smells. So that's when we kind of avoid going in an area, avoid being around certain situations um, because it triggers a memory or something of that sort. So for example, a combat veteran may avoid social media posts about current military, military events because it triggers something or a child that was sexually abused in a bathroom may avoid using bathrooms. And as a result, they may wet themselves frequently because they avoid using the bathroom because of the sexual abuse that occurred in or around a bathroom. So that is an example of a behavioral avoidance. OK, now these are just examples. But as we discussed before, after a traumatic event has occurred, it's completely natural to have these responses. It's our it's our body's attempt to make sense of the event. So generally therapists become concerned when the event has ended and the trauma is no longer happening and the symptoms are now impeding the person's ability to function in day-to-day -day life. So I shared with you before, when a traumatic event initially happens, it is completely understandable and normal for us to do many of these symptoms when it first happens because our bodies are trying to make sense. So if you find yourself avoiding having nightmares or any of the symptoms that we describe right after the traumatic event, that's normal. It would be what we consider abnormal not to have some of the symptoms because your body has just experienced something extremely traumatic. Okay. So these are, this is totally normal. We don't start to get concerned as therapists until after the trauma has ended. And about six to seven months later, you're starting to have these symptoms or you have these symptoms and it's impeding your ability to function day to day. Then we become extremely concerned. Correction let me not say extremely concerned, then we become concerned because then at that point, the body is no longer responding in what we consider a normal way to the trauma. But now the trauma is starting to impede day-to-day -day functioning and living well. And we don't want that, right? We don't want the trauma to stop us from enjoying our lives. So that's when we say, okay, we got to start doing a little bit more. And down further along in the season, we're going to talk about um, how we can actually do things so that our body can process what is happening to us um, traumatically in the terms. So what I'm so basically we could do things so that what the traumatic event will not later be processed in our bodies as a trauma. It doesn't impact us as a trauma. So we can experience a traumatic event and not be traumatized. We talked about this several times. So I really I'm excited about that information because 
you know, we cannot control what happens to us oftentimes in our lives. Many times, you know, think about all the trauma that we've endured through COVID. Some of us are listening right now that are survivors of trauma. We ain't asked for none of that stuff to happen. It just happened. We couldn't control that, right? We didn't make the choices around that. We didn't ask to be in that situation. Somebody was not well, was not healthy, and it just happened. None of us asked for COVID. COVID just came. Rona Lachey, COVID Lamont just showed up, two-pieced us, right? And... There are things, I love the fact that there are things that we can do when life is out of control, when we did not ask for life to happen. There are things that we can do to buffer and mitigate it so that the traumatic event does not end up traumatizing us. I'm really excited about about that and those discussions that we're going to have later in our season. Okay, so I don't want to get off and digress. Okay, so back to our notes. So one thing I want to reiterate, so we were talking about avoidance. One thing I want to reiterate regarding avoidance is while avoidance feels so good in the moment, it is the number one hindrance to healing. Number one hindrance to healing. Also, what we often don't realize is when we are avoiding, we don't realize that we are avoiding. We don't realize that. So we think that, um, you know, we think that we're good. Like I often have clients come into my office and say, you know, I'm not avoiding, I'm living it day to day, but they're not actually doing the work to heal. They uh, don't want to talk about what's happening. Um, they don't want to talk about the impact that it's having on their lives. And they feel like they've moved on. And sometimes, honestly, in some cases, people have moved on. But 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 then you start to see these areas of their lives that are stuck. And it's stuck as a result of the trauma. And when we go to deal with the stuck area of their lives, they don't want to go there. And that's a form of avoidance. Okay. Um, so many different ways that avoidance can manifest itself. Okay. But avoidance happens subconsciously. Most times avoidance happens subconsciously. So for example, let's say you have therapy for trauma and you have it every day at three o'clock and every, I'm sorry, every Wednesday at three o'clock. But every Wednesday at three o'clock, some type of emergency comes up or you find yourself running late to appointments or you're going to um, you have a you schedule things right before it that always pours over. Now, you may not think consciously that that's avoidance, like you're not trying to do that on purpose. It just happens. But subconsciously, you may not want to go to that session because you really don't want to open that package or unpack it because you think it's going to be painful. And the thing about it with avoidance is always mentally, we make it always worse than what it really is. So we put it off, we put it off, we put it off. And it's never as bad as we think it is. Generally, it's never as bad as we think it's going to be. Avoidance makes it a lot scarier. So when we think about avoidance, let's think of it like an injury. If you injure one of your legs or arms, you will naturally begin to rely more on the other non-injured body part. So in essence, you begin to avoid using the injured leg because your body becomes conditioned to avoid use of the painful area. So that's how avoidance works. It's just the same thing. You avoid that area so much, you begin to rely more on the other areas of your life. So like, for instance, instead of, you know, I may overwork to avoid thinking about the trauma. So I do a lot of work all the time. I keep myself busy, 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 busy. Now working, overworking may not seem pejorative in the moment because you're making them extra dollars. You're helping people. You might be helping people. You may have a job that you're doing a lot of good things for good people or just a lot of good things for people in general. So it may look good on the outside, but we're not working on the pain points. But I promise you, if that trauma 
is not being dealt with and it needs to be dealt with, it's going to come back up. So avoidance never works. Okay. Now, the same way we can, if, if you think, if you think of trauma, like an injury, right? If you injure one part of your body and you naturally start to, uh, uh, naturally start to rely on the uninjured part of your body. It's the same thing with avoidance and trauma. Avoidance is a method to escape psychological pain. It becomes easier in the moment to just not go there. It becomes easier to avoid the pain point. It just becomes easier. So again, the problem with that is a temporary fix and it only makes symptoms worse, not better. So we have to feel our natural emotions to traumatic events and experience our thoughts to heal. Let me repeat, we have to feel our natural emotions to traumatic events and experience our thoughts to heal. So we'll do a whole episode on avoidance, I think, alone, because avoidance is deep and complicated. All right, let's move on to the next one. Another big one is intrusive thoughts and memories. Intrusive thoughts and memories. That's experiencing without wanting to memories or thoughts around the traumatic event experiencing without wanting to experiencing without wanting to experience it memories or thoughts around the traumatic event so the thoughts and memories can trigger strong emotional and behavioral reactions it could come quickly like flooding and can be very disruptive to day-to-day functioning the thoughts and memories can trigger strong emotional and behavioral reactions can come quickly, we call that flooding, and can be very disruptive to day-to-day functioning. It can be extremely difficult for a person experiencing intrusive thoughts and memories to discern between the past and the present. So the person that, so these symptoms, whoever experiences these symptoms struggle to know that they are actually, whether or not they're actually in the present. They may feel like they are in the past and it's happening to them in that moment. So it feels like the trauma is happening in real time all over again. So because of that, a person may yell out, they may scream or run as is right in that moment and nothing is actually happening. So to the people around them, so a person can experience this and to the people around them, they look, they look out of place. Um, They may be labeled as crazy um, because they're they're reacting to this this memory or to this intrusive thought, but no one else can see it. And to that person that's experiencing it, it seems real. So they struggle with re- realizing that they're they're safe in that moment. They struggle with realizing that they're not in that moment, right in that moment that they're not being traumatized. They struggle with understanding that this is uh, that that they're not in that past memory, and so they react to that. So the next symptom we want to look at is flashbacks of the traumatic event. Flashbacks are very common among trauma survivors. Flashbacks happen in about one out of four trauma survivors. And that's when it feels like the trauma is happening all over again, all over again, as if you're physically reliving it. It's similar, similar to intrusive um, thoughts, similar, but it's a little bit different because if intrusive thoughts and memories is a little bit different because uh, flashbacks, um, flashbacks, you physically, physically feel like you went back in time, whereas intrusive memory thoughts, uh, it's a little different. It's happening more cognitively. 
and it's hard to um <clears throat> it's hard to discern between the two um unless you know the person sometimes can really break it down down for you in session but a flashback is um when I hear people talk about flashbacks, they actually physically um, feel like they're actually in a space. They look around and they see almost like a vision almost. Um, but they act like they, they physically feel like they're reliving it. The experience is generally involuntary and very intense. So a flashback is very intense. It often feels real and is not seen as a memory. So with intrusive memories, it's just a memory. Um, and I don't want to minimize when I say just, but with it, it's seen more of a memory in their mind. They know that it's a memory, but they react as if it's a memory. With flashbacks, it's very physical. It's like the, I've heard people say that the room was different. They opened their eyes and a room was different. It wasn't just a thought in their mind. And they know that it's not just a thought in their mind. Whereas when, when someone's having an intrusive memory, they can tell you that it was in my mind. I, it was in my mind. It felt real, but it was in my mind. But it feels with a flashback, it feels real and it's not seen as a memory, but as if it's actually happening. And this flashbacks can seriously disrupt someone's life, just like the intrusive memories as well. People that experience flashbacks can react violently or in an odd manner and take some time to realize that they are in a safe environment. So they're very similar to intrusive memories as well. Flashbacks, they have similarities. And sometimes it's hard to tell the difference between the two. And um, as a therapist, you just got to break it down in session um, for those therapists who are listening. And for those who are... Um, are experiencing these symptoms um, sometimes you guys are really good at being able to explain it and say what the difference is but with a flashback it's more physical it, it seems like um, when I hear about flashbacks it's as if the whole entire environment changed um, it, 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 the space even changes for you mentally another common symptom is nightmares related to the event or about the event so nightmares are very common um, sometimes nightmares uh, actually last even after finishing trauma treatment and over years, though people will experience nightmares, though they will decrease over time and not happen as frequently, I, and, and the intensity is not as um, strong. I definitely hear clients talk about um, having nightmares well until after treatment has finished, and um, but they don't tend to impede the quality of life, and they happen less frequently. But sometimes the dreams are about the event itself. But sometimes clients report dreams similar to the event, meaning similar to feelings of danger or being unsafe. Nightmares tend to be chronic and disturbing in nature, and they um, disrupt sleep and can and and are often predictive of more severe PTSD symptoms. Unfortunately, people that report nightmares tend to have more severe PTSD symptoms. But the good news is that um, through treatment and therapy, the the nightmares sometimes nightmares don't go away, but they do decrease in frequency. Like I said earlier, in intensity. Next, we're going to talk about hypervigilance or sometimes it's referred as hyperarousal. And that's when the body, that's the body's way of being, always being prepared. So hypervigilance is, uh, you know, when you think about hypervigilance, think about the person that's always like easily startled, like always jumpy, always jumpy, always ready to on guard. Um, it may be like jumpy, like, you know, scared or jumpy, ready to fight, always like, you know, ready to two-piece somebody. <laughs> it could be one of those two as well. Or um, ready to um, defend maybe always defensive it could it could come in several forms it could be very defensive um on attack mode it could be someone that's always scary or jumpy or scared as well 
Now, hypervigilance can serve as a method of self-protection, but can become detrimental because it can often produce overreactions to situations perceived as dangerous, but aren't actually dangerous. So hypervigilance can, you know, most clients who have hypervigilance will tell you, or most of us that have hypervigilance will tell you that, you know, that's a way that they stay safe. They want to make sure they're safe. Nobody's coming after them and they are always prepared, right? But the problem with that is that Hypervigilance, especially with trauma, can lead to that overreaction when things are not, when things are safe, when things are not dangerous, right? So it can impede the person's ability to enjoy life. It can impede the person's ability to actually take the time to assess and properly respond to situations. So people that are hypervigilant or uh, those who are characterized as hypervigilance tend to over respond. They don't take a moment to just take a minute in just a situation and then respond. But that is a typical trauma response is hypervigilance though. Emotional dysregulation is a big one. It's a big one where, but folks don't often see it as a trauma symptom, especially in black and brown people. So emotional dysregulation, that is either feeling too much, which is overwhelmed. And we tend to see this characteristic in black and brown folk, right? Um, that have been traumatized or feeling too little, which is numb. So that's emotional dysregulation. Unfortunately, emotional dysregulation in, with trauma with African-American, Hispanics and black and brown people is not seen as a trauma symptom, but as seen as difficult, we tend to be characterized as difficult, angry black woman, angry black man, um, aggressive, and not e trauma's not even taken into consideration, especially with our black and brown boys. Trauma's not even taken into consideration. Immediately conduct disorder, ADHD, all these diagnoses are slapped on them instead of taking a moment into excess. Has there been a history of trauma and not the typical uh, trauma that people think of, physical, sexual abuse, domestic violence? What about experiencing witnessing a violent crime um loss of someone to a violent crime all those things i um outlined in episode one which you want to go back and listen to if you haven't because trauma is a big definition now it's not those little things that it used to be defined as and so people often don't take the time to assess that with our black and brown children and they give these diagnoses but hypervigilance i'm sorry emotional dysregulation is a big one that goes misdiagnosed within our black and brown populations so emotional dysregulation is difficulties managing emotions such as sadness, anger, anxiety, shame, and the like. In persons that experienced trauma later in life and that were able to manage emotion effectively prior to the trauma, these symptoms tend to fade after some time and represent more of an immediate response to trauma rather than a pattern. So if you experience trauma later in life, and you were able to manage your emotions effectively. If you have emotional dysregulation after the trauma, you're more likely to go back to um, managing your emotions well if you were someone that did prior to the trauma, right? But if you were someone who experienced trauma earlier in life, emotional dysregulation is something that you may always have to work on continuously throughout the lifespan. Emotional dysregulation is more longstanding in persons that experience trauma in their younger years. Hence why you will always probably have to be working on it, managing coping skills throughout um, the lifespan. Okay. But again, I want to point out and say it again, 
This is one that is is often overlooked and misdiagnosed in black and brown populations and labels are placed on our boys and our girls and our women and our men. Difficult, angry, all those types of things. And it really is a symptom of trauma. And people have don't assess it. They don't assess it. They don't assess trauma. They don't even think about trauma. They immediately give labels. Okay. So we want to be mindful of that. We want to be mindful of that. Now, now here are some not so common symptoms that are often um, not discussed, at least from my perspective. Okay. You know, some of my experience, you know, um, these, these symptoms are common, but they're not discussed as much. You don't hear about them as much when we talk about trauma. So, um, there's three of them, disassociation, feeling easily overwhelmed and numbing. Those are the three. Okay. So in my experience, these symptoms are often not discussed. So we're just going to go over them really quickly. So disassociation is the disconnection between thoughts, feelings, memories, actions, and or one's sense of identity. So I'm going to say that again. Disconnection between thoughts, feelings, memories, and or one's sense of identity. So disassociation helps distance the person from the trauma in order to cope. So all of these symptoms that I shared with you today, does it, these are how we cope, how our body chooses to cope. So if your body has chosen any of these symptoms to cope, it doesn't make you weak, doesn't make you a bad person, doesn't none of that. This is just the way your body chose to cope because the trauma should not have happened. So your body picked a way to cope. All of our bodies pick a way to cope. So please do not take any of these as as uh as a label or, or of, of any type of shame. It's just information that you'll know about. But these are the way our bodies cope and our bodies have to figure out a way to cope to get through the trauma. Okay. All right. So this association um, helps the helps distance the person from the trauma in order to cope in order to survive. Daydreaming is a form of dissociation, right? So all of us have daydreamed, right? But daydreaming is a form of dissociation, but it's not, it's not something that we tend to pathologize, right? So we've all daydreamed, right? So it, so what happens with disassociation, it occurs when we are engaged in an automatic activity and not paying attention to the immediate environment, okay? So this, when we talk about daydreaming, of course, that's a lighthearted or a less intense form of disassociation, but that is a form of disassociation where we kind of just zone out for a moment, right? But you will find with children who have been traumatized in class, when things become overwhelming, they tend to daydream and for long periods of time. And parents, uh, teachers will often complain about it in teacher conferences, parent-teacher conferences, um, not realizing that many of those children have been traumatized. Or if the child has been traumatized, the teacher may not realize that that is a trauma response, the disassociation. So the problem with disassociation, it can become problematic when it's a traumatic response and it leads to a distortion of time, space, or identity. Okay? So again, it happens when we are when engaged in an automatic activity and not paying attention to the immediate environment, but it becomes problematic because it can lead to a distortion of time, space, or identity. So that, you know, that, you know, when we, when we daydream here and there, not a problem, but when it's, when it's a trauma response and we're getting to the point we, when we are losing space, time, or identity, that's a problem. And there is a DSM-5 diagnosis of DID disorder, disassociation identity disorder, which used to be multiple personality disorder. And that has been known to be associated with extreme forms of trauma, right? So, but disassociation is one of the trauma responses that you may experience or you know someone who does it. And it's not really talked about often, right? But again, 
go to a doctor, a licensed mental health professional. Don't be, don't be doing any diagnosing at home, y'all. Don't do this at home. Don't try this at home. Next is feeling overwhelmed. Feeling overwhelmed is, is not commonly noticed as a trauma symptom, but it's big because many tra- trauma survivors are apt to struggle with thinking in an organized manner. They struggle with organizing their lives, their schedule, and as a result, they become very overwhelmed. Now, this may be a result of intense feelings or intru- intrusive thoughts that we discussed earlier and those intrusive memories, sometimes racing thoughts and racing memories, right? Outwardly, they may seem chronically anxious, flustered, or constantly agitated, and that is generally because they are trying to figure things out. They struggle with organizing their thoughts. Again, that has a lot to do with the impact of trauma on the brain, which will be discussed later in this season, right? So feeling overwhelmed, that constant overwhelmed state, that scatteredness that you sometimes see, that is not often discussed, but that is that is often seen in trauma. Okay, that is the trauma system symptom. And last but not least is delusions and hallucinations. So I think earlier I said that we were going to be looking at. um, So I misspoke. I think earlier I said uh, feeling overwhelmed and numbing, but I'm wrong. It's feeling the three that I'm talking about is disassociation, feeling easily overwhelmed and delusions and hallucinations, not numbing delusions and hallucinations. So this is the last one we're going to talk before we wrap up. So delusion and hallucinations, that is seeing and hearing things that are not actually there. A lot of people don't realize, but delusions and hallucinations can also be a result of trauma, especially in younger children, because psychotic disorders generally are not diagnosed until anywhere between 16 and 18. And um, some cases, 21, depending on the population, uh, depending on ethnicity and population. Right. So when you have a young child that has been diagnosed with a psychotic disorder, which is very rare, it is generally a result of trauma. Now, I can't say in every case, guys, because, you know, there's always exceptions. But I'm just telling you what the research shows. And also the DSM-4-5 talks about this extensively. Right. So delusions and hallucinations, which are psychotic symptoms, you generally will see that if you see that in younger children, that is a result generally generally of trauma again I keep saying generally because you can't say in every case but people don't realize that people will give a child a young child a diagnosis of psychotic disorder and not even go into the history to find out if there was any type of trauma so again delusions and hallucinations that seeing and hearing things that are not actually there many trauma survivors experience these symptoms but people generally associate these symptoms with psychotic disorders and will overlook the possibility of there being a trauma now these are not all the symptoms today i did not discuss all the symptoms but these are the main ones that i treat and i see frequently frequently now before i go i do want to offer some tips to those listening that may be struggling with these symptoms i don't want to leave you hopeless if you're listening to this because you know it's a lot and i don't want people to walk away feeling like wow i got all this information but then you know what if i am struggling with this what to do next i'm just going to give you a little bit of something something now first number one you know what dr dawn's going to say seek treatment seek treatment seek out a licensed professional mental health provider that's number one But in the meantime, in between time, while waiting for a therapist and or in between sessions, grounding techniques can be useful in managing these symptoms. Grounding techniques. If you haven't heard of them, I'm going to give you a little bit of information about them. And I'm going to try to provide you with a downloadable that's going to be connected to this episode, if not right away, within a week or so. Okay. Grounding techniques remind us of here and now. And if you remember what I said earlier is that with a lot of these symptoms, you know, the flashbacks and the the, um, intrusive memories, 
what happens for the person that's experiencing them is that they struggle between recognizing or understanding or knowing the past from the present. Well, grounding techniques help us to to come back to the present, to be in the present. Okay, so that's what grounding techniques do, helps us to be in the present and to connect with our bodies. So grounding techniques are simple. So they could be something such as slow, deep breaths. So for example, breathing in at a slow count of four, then holding it for four, and then slowly releasing it at a six to eight count. So you you breathe in for four, hold it for four, and then blow out slower though six to eight count okay another technique is self-talk such as i am safe i am safe here and now i can get through this i am loved self-talk like that bringing ourselves back to the present reminding ourselves that we are not in the traumatic situation that i am taken care of i can care for myself i am safe Butterfly hugs, and that's just, you know, hugging yourself with both arms, wrapping both your arms around yourself, but at the same time, breathing in slowly, breathing out slowly, and then gently tapping on your body for a minute or two. And then lastly, another easy grounding technique is naming all of the objects around you. So in that moment, just start naming whatever you see. You can say it out loud. You can say it to yourself, just name whatever you see around you or name all the colors that you see in your specific eyesight. But the whole idea is to help the body distinguish between what is happening in the here and now versus what has happened in the past. So grounding techniques helps us to come back to the here and now. All right, now that's a wrap gang. Now don't go around diagnosing yourself or nobody. I don't want no stuff. Remember, this ain't therapy. Now, I hope this was helpful. You have a little bit more education. Do not forget to rate and review. Send us an email. Listen to us on all your listening platforms. Share with your friends. And until next time, stay sane.